0: Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die Podcast, brought to you by Ohana Fest down in Dana Point. And brought to you by Live Nation, bringing you concerts all over the world. It all begins with getting off drugs, people. Let's go out and live life. Get sober, get the right treatment for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. That's what we do around here every effing day.
1: Stop and dying. That's what we're doing here today. What?
2: We're out here living, actually.
0: Don't Die, brought yeah. to you by the Ohana Fest. Where is the Ohana Fest? Have you ever been to it? Is it somewhere is, in Orange is it County? Close? Is it in Orange County?
2: Only good things happen in Orange County.
0: <laughs> we know this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Hello, everybody. Um, last year, we didn't know what to do, and so we did a hodgepodge mess. So this year, we decided we're just going to do the podcast here. And if any of you ever listened to it, if you want to know what it really is, it's... Um, Clinicians like myself, like Chuck and I, were able to enjoy life and know the truth, meaning the suffering that addicts go through. And sometimes you laugh about it because it's too depressing to uh, not laugh about. Yeah. So we've a created of this humor. A lot of yellow <laughs> humor. There is, and this started when I worked at Los Encinas Hospital. Like I didn't. I came from. A, I was a musician. Then I started working as a as a counselor, and. The nurses and Dr. Drew would say the darkest humor about horrible stuff that would happen at the hospital. And I was just like, this is because I thought I was being around professionals. And they (laughs) they were Uh behind (laughs) (laughs) closed doors. They did not strike me as professionals. Now, I'm going to show you. I wanted two things happened this week, Chuck, that are just devastating to me. One was I was at Target, my favorite store with my daughter, looking at Halloween costumes. Is Target
2: sponsoring you now? Because you
0: talk about (laughs) Target a lot. I thought we could just do uh, advertisements (laughs) for people who don't pay us. Like, brought to you by Target and Ohana and Live Nation. So so I was at Target, and they had this taco head hat. So I took my gray hat off, and I put my taco hat on to make Sydney laugh. She laughed. I took it off, but I left my fucking hat that I've had my whole life. <laughs> oh, no. In Target. Whole life. <laughs> I've had it for 20 years. That's
2: a long time. And, and that is famous. And and,
0: and and so then I didn't realize till I went to work on Friday morning. I was like, where's my hat? And sometimes I forget it in the car, so I went out looking looked in the car. It's not there. It's not in my office. Like, oh, my God. Then I had to go to work. I show up at work with no hat on, everybody's like, What's 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 with you? <laughs> like, nobody's ever seen me with my hat off, and most were surprised I have hair. By the way, right? So Very good so hair. then I'm there, and then I go back, and I'm like thinking, like, where did I lose my hat? So I go in all over our house. I went in the garage. I didn't know where I could have left it. Then Sydney goes, I think you left it at the Target store when you put the taco hat on.
2: Oh, oh. and that's when you no. hit her and said. Oh. Why
0: so I go to the Target <laughs> store last <laughs> night to figure out how we go about this. And, you know, me and the millennials, we got a little bit of a problem. I, I, no, I don't think they have a problem with you. I <laughs> think <laughs> It's a one way war. <laughs> so I asked the girl in guest services, hey, I lost a hat. It's a gray hat. Do you have a lost and found. She says, "Yes, we do." She walked literally in the back chuck for 11 seconds. Walked behind the thing and came back and said there's no hat back there. I said mm. I said, are you, sure, "Are you sure you looked in the lock?" And she did not check. <laughs> and damn. I asked to speak to a manager, just like any Karen would.
2: Wow. <laughs> hey, hey. Right She's on. old sometimes.
0: I, the manager comes out. She says, what is your problem? I said, well, between you and me, I think the girl that went to go look for my hat <laughs> oh. <laughs> didn't look for it. That millennial. Didn't I don't know. Do her she job. might have been in Gen Z or I don't know. I don't know where the cutoff is. So she says, oh, let me go check. She goes back for 17 seconds, comes back, there's no hat back. <laughs> were, you, were you looking
1: at your, like, I know. <laughs> so H- man, go. I counting. got I,
0: I got Sid with me. She goes, maybe it's still in the costume section. I was like, fuck yes, let's go. And we went and we dug all through the Halloween costumes at Target, <laughs> took them all off so, the walls. So thought
2: it was a Freddy Krueger hat. <laughs> it wasn't there. But <laughs> there was a, a
0: nice millennial slash Gen Z-er there. And he said, what are you looking for? And I said, you're not going to believe this, but I got this Bob Dylan hat. It's like a gray hat. It's the most important personal possession i have and if you can find it i'll give you five (laughs) hundred dollars and he was like at first he was in disbelief like five hundred dollars really and i said and i pulled it out i only had 460 but i did have some money on me and then it became real then we're looking all around he goes maybe they put it in the hat section i said it's an old beat up sweaty hat nobody could mistake it for a new hat that you're selling at Target. And then I thought of the girl that was in the guest services, and I thought, well, maybe it is in the <laughs> hat rack. <laughs> so, then, so then we go all through the hats. We go to the ladies' hats, we go to the men's hats, we go to the sports hats, and it's not there. And then he goes, you know, the the overnight crew have a break room. So this kid's on board with me for the $500. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Couldn't find it. That. He goes up there, couldn't find it. He takes my phone number. I'm still hoping it's somewhere in the Target store. Could have been thrown in the trash. But here's the deal. I live in Laverne, California, which is a very small little, uh, you know, Inland Empire town. If I see this person wearing my hat, (laughs) I don't know what I'll do, Chuck. I don't know. I might not be responsible for what happens to me. Call me. So then as I'm giving the kid my phone number, I go, you know, you know, like, and I showed him a picture of me in the hat. And he was like, that's weird. Old guy showing me pictures of himself. Did you have anything <laughs> ne-
2: next to it that was questionable? No, oh, no. hey, oh, I it's meant all, to show you the picture of me in the hat.
0: kids' pictures. Oh. So, so, uh, so then I go, you, I, he, I said, it's, a, it's the Bob Dylan hat from Desire, from that Desire album cover. And I saw this look on his face. And I said, you don't know who Bob Dylan is, do you? And he said, no, who is that? <laughs> Swear to God, that's what you're dealing with out there. But what we're dealing with is Wait a second, what happened with the hat? The hat? It's still lost, so oh. so so I'll get well wow, I can man. I can add on to it. So I went to Milwaukee. This is the Don't Die podcast in LA, but there's lots of them around the country in, in Milwaukee and in Sacramento you- in Las Vegas. And so the guys in Milwaukee are the real kings of the don't die movement. They yeah, really they, they do t-
2: stuff.
0: They talk to the governor. I went to Wisconsin and talked to the governor of Wisconsin, talk to me about this don't die movement. In Seattle, over here, the Project Project Red people are doing the same thing we're doing all over the country. There's great people getting Narcan into the hands of addicts, getting fentanyl testing kits into the hands of addicts, making awareness about this horrible plague on our society that no one knows about because we're so concerned with Khloe Kardashian's baby. When she who baby. and who gave birth to it. Oh. Right? So so, so there's a hundred thousand kids are gonna die this year from drug overdoses, hundred thousand died last year, fifty-five thousand died in the Vietnam War, to put it into some perspective. So we're trying to get fentanyl testing kits matter narcan matters narcan should be in every school everywhere there's a fire hydrant, a fire you know thing there should be a narcan there should be narcan Narcan. every school should have it every public building should have narcan available because they're talking about a hundred thousand people if this continues we'll lose a million people in 10 years and the kids are dying in cl- in the bathrooms at school yeah there's so. yeah just in LA two little yeah. girls 15 years old Insane, so anyways man. we we started this movement and i went there and i met with the governor and those guys just blow it out they got don't die everywhere they got n- needle exchanges and everything so a shout out to our guys in Milwaukee but they said they wanted to do me a favor and get me a hat what yeah when i was there like 2 years ago this is the hat, but I never uh, wore it because I had the gray hat. I yeah. didn't know what to say. Like, no, 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 I'm not going to wear a different hat. Well, it's a fine hat. This is a good <laughs> one. I had to do a little organizing of the flowers last night, and I had I stepped on it a lot. I put What's it on the, the ground. Say, it says Barry Goldwater. I'm voting for Barry Goldwater this year. Good for you, with Bob Dylan, right? <laughs> so, anyways. Uh, shout out to the Milwaukee Don't Die guys, and they got me this hat. But nice. what Chuck and I have been able to do—I've been doing it for 20. You know, I know I—I I don't look 61, but I've been doing it for like <laughs> 26 years. <laughs> I've been working in treatment for 26 years. Chuck's been doing it for 15, 14.
1: Sure, for how Not around
0: there? 14, 15.
1: Yeah. Wavelengths Huntington Beach. Yeah. Shout out.
0: And uh. Woo. And so. So what we started noticing, well, I noticed it back in 2007. Like you would, you would um, have kids in your group or in your outpatient group, and then all of a sudden, the next Tuesday, they'd be dead. Oh my! God. I, I had never dealt with something like that before. Like, if you think back to the 80s, the heroin epidemic that people talked about, there was there was 3,600 deaths in a year in in the year I went to treatment for the first time, 1987. 3,600. Mike and I knew about fifty of them, right? They were just yep. in Hollywood. There weren't yep. people dying in Huntington, West Virginia, of drug overdoses. There weren't people dying in Austin, Texas, of drug overdoses. All over. This Ohio. is a new right. phenomenon that nobody really wants to talk about. So we try to talk about it with a sense of humor and a and a joy of living and a love of addicts and an understanding of, you know, this dilemma that an addict is trapped in. They're trapped between caring and not caring is what they think their their mind tricks them into I care I don't care but really their mind has been hijacked to just take drugs that's it period right. it's
2: like drug induced apathy yeah yeah a lot yeah. of times it's it's like it's like don't you care the idea that if you're here tomorrow or not just doesn't register and it's so across the board that I know it's not biological it's got to be drug induced like the psychosis just the, the I don't I don't just nothing matters and that's just the hard part don't you want to be here tomorrow to see what happens yeah i mean I... because look at all look what we're doing this weekend look what we get to do i was talking to smitty yesterday and it's like there's so much that i've been able to do look at this to do that would have never happened had i been loaded right now i know where i'd be if i was alive and i know what i'd be trying to do
0: i wonder how many sober addicts are involved in running this thing i bet you there's a lot
1: so yeah, there is. my more my than life than more, more than two, more than two. My sure.
0: life was a mess, and I was homeless, and I was I had no front teeth, and now I have a family, and now I have a job, and now I have teeth. the possibility. The possibilities are endless, and I wasn't. You forgot really, the
1: part about where nobody would let
0: you sleep over at their
1: house well, anymore because wanna, you'd steal I, everything.
0: I didn't want people to get so alienated from me. I was, <laughs> I, the, the best story is Keith Morris from The Circle Jerks, one of my best friends my whole life, and he lived in this apartment. And Keith is the type of guy that you can you could kind of go to him for sympathy about once every 17 days like he'll give you <laughs> 20 bucks
2: approximately about
0: 17 right. 15 17 18 15, 15, 15, 15 17 17 18. so i had a regular rotation going by key's house and i would sleep on the couch and i would take a shower and he would give me 20 bucks and we'd go eat and that was on a regular routine so i go by his house and it's empty there's nobody <laughs> lives there anymore right so i go by there and uh, I looked in the window, and it was little Louie and him lived together in Occidental. I was like, Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, my God. They've moved somewhere. They forgot to tell me, Chuck.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where am forgot. I going to get my they 20 to bucks? To <laughs> talk, they forgot <laughs>
0: to tell me. So I called somebody. I don't want to say, but he might be a bass player in some big rock band that just played SoFi a couple of years, months ago. I I called this mutual friend of ours, and I said, hey, where did Keith and Louie move to? And he went, uh, 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 all stumble bumbly. (laughs) And I was like, what the hell? And he goes, um, they don't want you to know where they live, Bobby. I was like, what the (laughs) hell kind of friends are (laughs) these? (laughs) What kind of friends are these, Chuck? Good ones. No, No, they're not. Yes. told you that. (laughs) Oh, my God.
1: (laughs) So,
0: so, uh, so I was insulted I made it my business to find out where they live and go knock on their door and I did find the place it's not hard there's a lot of blabbermouth in Hollywood I was like hey you know where Louie and Keith moved to and they're like yeah somewhere around Sunset Junction and I was like that limits it." now I know the area and, and I'm on foot. I'm from, not doing much, yeah. Chuck. I'm just walking around. I could go in circles, <laughs> get wider and wider. <laughs> it's like find that. Remember Louie had that roadrunner big hot rod car. That can't be hard to find. In that Silver Lake. Was it? Yeah. In Los Feliz. So I found it and I knocked on the door. I go, what the hell? And <laughs> 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 what the hell? Louis's like you found us and I was like yes I am Bob Forrest I will fucking find you right how did you think you were gonna get away with that so so what happened going back to the don't die podcast and the thing so about 2007 I started having this experience where actual kids that I was had in my outpatient program were dying and it be and it was so shocking and there was one, there's a place called Sober College in the San Fernando Valley, and I went there to one of their funerals, memorials, and there was a whole wall of like 19 and 20 and 20 year old kids that had gone through Sober College that had died. And I was like, oh, what, the, how come I don't know about this? And how come America doesn't know about this, that its children are dying? And so what I started doing in my program, uh, 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 called Aloe House, now it's called Oro House, but I just started, anytime I said goodbye to an addict, I always said, don't die, to just bring it to consciousness that what you're doing is so dangerous. Oxycontin, pills that you don't know who mixed them. And now fentanyl. Right, fentanyl, right? And... And it just started to be a thing that everybody started saying around my rehab and to me, like, don't die, don't die. And then we were going to have a podcast, and I thought, don't die. Yeah, you know, it's
2: so prevalent. Like, we were were driving up here, and I had a friend of ours come with us, and, and we were talking about a mutual acquaintance that was smart enough to know, not to do fentanyl, that was smart enough to know what happens when you play with that stuff, and isn't here anymore. And it's just like, I don't it becomes so common but the pain doesn't stop that's what that's what's horrible about it is that it's just like you think you'd get used to it and just go oh
1: there's another one but,
0: but it doesn't but the hope is that kids kids are smart kids will start listening to project red and to oral o- 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 house and and you know the first time i was like trying to get kids to first time i heard about fentanyl testing kits was in milwaukee at the don't die milwaukee place oh milwaukee. and uh, <laughs> yeah those guys should be here and we should be audi- in the audience so so uh so what what happened was i saw it and 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 they do it with a in a spoon right and i thought all my kids are like from beverly hills they don't really shoot up like how are they gonna test this stuff and not until i just talked to your partner did i know how to do it but i just keep talking about fentanyl testing kits fentanyl testing kits you got to do it you got to do it
1: um and instructions mm. on how to work how to work the narcon, to, the narc, yeah, nar- right? Yeah. Because people look at this thing and they go, "What do I do with this?" He and to it's do, too that late. That
0: was a Freudian slip. He said narcotic. Yeah, no, <laughs> narcon, narcon. Well, <laughs> that's
1: all right. You know, so it's so important to get people to know how to use those damn things. Yeah, right? yeah. They don't know to well, jam it up the nose and you know give it. Well, the big that shot. yeah, that's, that's. I thought it was it, up the butt. Yeah, it wasn't. No, I, no, I no. Thought no, it was it's a not. suppository. No, no, no. Here's the thing. So we do a
0: a bunch of my place. We do a lot of, you know, Saturday trainings and whatever. And people are so apprehensive of hurting the person. And you really got to tell them, don't worry about it. They can't feel it, right? (laughs) (laughs) Just shove that thing up there. As soon as you feel like bone, push the thing. You know what I mean? But the uh, interesting thing that's been happening when fentanyl came on is you do that and the person's still out, right? Yeah. And so I work with a guy out in Las Vegas whose daughter passed away from drug overdose. And he, he put money into finding a three-shot Narcan thing for first responders. This guy, David Seagal, great man, put up his own money, developed this three-shot Narcan. And literally, you know, you can go one, and then two, and then three, and then like, the person's like and this I've done this with Mike I don't know Mike and I go way back to 1983 and I have resuscitated Mike from a heroin overdose and he gets mad at you this this is (laughs) Mike
1: this is well that's the usual (laughs) response yeah, like hell, It really
0: is. What the hell are you making some big deal for? Not I, was like, I was like, you were dead. He's like, No, I wasn't. Up. Come on.
1: Like there's stories of uh, <laughs> of people using the Narcan and then the guy waking up going, what'd you do that for? You ruined my high, you know. <laughs> I true. was doing fine. Don't
2: expect them to be grateful and get them exactly. to an emergency room is the next thing because they could overdose again in a half an hour, 45 minutes. I mean, this is so important. Well, that thing.
0: happened to me at Cedars-Sinai Hospital, by the way yeah but with a certain keyboard player that's been playing in all these bands he was my uh eskimo you could say his he was name my josh cling no no he's no. A, he, no he's at my eskimo from the 80s oh ben so, yeah so he so i get i overdosed in a cab and then they the cab driver didn't know what to do <laughs> so he pulled over and just pulled me out of the cab and left me right you take money from your wallet i didn't have any money what are you oh. talking about <laughs> <laughs> so he fortunately <laughs> left me in front of Pink's hot dog stand at Melrose and La Brea.
2: She's singing today.
0: Oh, come on, Chuck. What? Oh, who? Pink. pink oh, God. Song. Is she the Forget hot dog Yeah, She's person? come a long way. No, but uh, so so I get let out there. And if you know the buses of, of West Hollywood, that's the bus that a lot of the nurses that come from cedars Sinai take down to go south. In Los Angeles yes so I happen to be pulled out you know dead not breathing in front of a nurse who's sitting at a bus stop oh uh. <laughs> lucky for me So, yeah. <laughs> sh- because she saved you you saved him yeah there you go <laughs> but so so I get resuscitated but they keep you know these ambulances they keep insisting you have to go to the hospital Charlie. Wow. that is so rude I was already okay yeah and you're and busy got, you gotta you got go to, get high now because
1: yeah. they've ruined it
0: so you got it right. so you get in the ambulance and i'm like oh my god where are we going i didn't want to go to some you know county general and i all of a sudden yeah. i knew which direction we're going we're going to cedars this is a, this is a good spot Two to go <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so i get there and they want me to they do all my vitals and they take my clothes away and i got this thing and then everybody all my friends showed up my girlfriend and and certain sort of keyboard player and some people and they wanted me to go to rehab, and I had been in rehab. I had just gotten out of rehab like eight days before, and I was like, "I just got out of rehab. I'm not gonna go back to rehab." And uh, they were very upset with me, very disappointed. I think they were disappointed, Mike, at my unwillingness. Not
1: the first people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was, a, I was at. I just even after a drug overdose, I had, I had just a tad too little willingness, Chuck. Uh, I'm shocked. So, but luckily. <laughs> When I got my clothes back, the dope I had was in this pocket. I Ah, would keep everything in this pocket. It's a miracle. Gum, credit card, right? Still to this day, (laughs) I keep everything in this pocket. are such a special breed, you know? And so I went into the Cedar sinai bathroom, because you don't want to go too far away, and the Narcan had worn off, and I did more, and I went out in the bathroom two times in like four hours, three hours. Then they took me against my will, Chuck. Against my will. Bastards. What right do they have to put me in an institution?
2: Uh, Where
0: was the ACLU
2: then? Killed yourself twice, kind of endangered
0: yourself. <laughs> You're yep. to they yourself. They kind of had a case. Did they? Yeah. I should have fought it. <laughs> anyway.
1: <laughs> Still to this day. So
0: anyways, I, I remember I was in this lockdown facility, and the guy. There were real crazy people in there, Chuck. Not, not. I'm not being belittling, but there were people that. Did clinical not have term, my pro- crazy. Cl- clinical term would be a uh, dissociative and schizoid schizoid schizoid.
2: What people call multiple personality. And so
0: I'm in there. It takes me like two days to really realize where I am, and then I meet the, my peers, and I went to the nurses station like I I don't I I I don't belong here. <laughs> what do you think that nurse well, said? The, what do you think that nurse said in 1990? This is exactly where you need to be, honey. (laughs) (laughs) She was right. And little
1: did she know that you'd be running in Los Angeles years later.
0: So so I settled in, got in the ceramics class. I made a, (laughs) I remember, it's weird the things you remember as you go through life (laughs) in this kind of chaotic, in and out of reality way. I made a ceramic truck. They had the things there where you want to pick something. And it was like a 56 Chevy pickup truck. And what, I was like, I'll, I'll paint that. It was called CPC Westwood on Bun. you know, all West Side stuff, Chuck. This I is- wish I would have known. Brand <laughs> <laughs> that, Neuropsychiatric was for. That ceramics guy in the nah, lockdown, I loved unit. ceramics. So I did this truck and I was there. And, uh, and I stayed there. They, they advanced it, not just three days, 14 days. Right. And I was cool with it. 50. I had settled in. I had settled in. You know, at first I, I objected to the environment, but then I just settled in, played ping pong, went to ceramics class. Did you Thorazine? No, there were some Thorazine people there. When I was in jail, I did Thorazine because the guys told me, get on Thorazine, say this, 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 and you get Thorazine. Then you cheek it, store it up, put it in with instant coffee, cr- crush it all up, put it in with instant coffee. Guzzle it down and then lay down on the ground. That was my advice from jail my, is the best place my to peers, learn stuff. You know, <laughs> to learn. So, ma- so, like, so many county So many scientists end up so in jail. Much, <laughs> yeah.
2: Just Why Craft. craft.
0: What, what does that actually do? Like, say five thorazine and a couple of
1: instant coffees. What does that do actually? Oh, that's a poor man's speedball right there. <laughs> I don't know. So that's a jail speedball. So, ball.
0: so uh, you know. We have this kind of gallows humor about addicts. We love addicts. We want to help. You get frustrated. You get, you get at your wit's end, and then you just grow a new wit, right? There's something about you have to have a sense of humor to deal with addicts. And one of the things of why they need people like me and Chuck around that aren't psychiatrists is the psychiatrists, like, literally, they just don't have a sense of humor about it at uh, all. I
2: don't
0: know. Yeah. And they don't. Some do. The relatability the is
2: really that hard. The helped you. Did? Which? The guy in Chinatown.
0: Where? I'm, I'm forgetting. Koreatown? Where, where? Oh, that's, yeah, but that's therapy when I'm sober. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So Chuck's referring to how I got so well. Some of you might not think I'm so well, yeah, the guy, judging the, the guy by how I'm you. talking. <laughs> you should have seen me 20 years ago. Yeah. Right? I so did. I went to therapy. What happened was, which happens a lot in sober people's lives, I kind of started to recognize my depression. Right? You can only be grateful and tell yourself you're grateful so long. If you have major depression like I do, it's just going to overwhelm you at a certain point. I was about five, six years sober. I was thinking about killing myself maybe or I don't know. I was fancy and not being here, which is not a good sign. Six years sober, eight years sober. I don't know how long it was. I was. want uh, to talk
2: to somebody if you're having those thoughts.
0: Yeah, well, I did at Dr. You. Drew's insistence. It was like yes. he was pestering me. But see,
2: me. you talked to Dr. Drew first. That's the yeah. big thing. People hold
0: I didn't tell him stuff. I was suicidal. I told him I was depressed. I didn't tell him suicidal. He would have locked me in the locked unit that I was in charge of. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <That's>
0: <laughs> so, so I found this therapist, and anybody that's sober for a long time, if, if you're depressed or you're having problems in relationships and you just can't get yourself out of the mud through the steps or through the fellowship, You know, seek outside help is what Bill Wilson did and says, and I did that. And I met a man, I'm just going to reenact the whole thing. So, so, so I'm still crazy, like, and even crazier then. So I have this prejudice about education. I'm a very elitist about education, right? So if you're going to help me, you probably have to go to Harvard Medical School psychiatrist, not North Cal State Northridge right <laughs> so, so i call i call i swear to god to me. i call the back of my insurance card and they give you three referrals for 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 therapy to see a psychologist or psychiatrist right jack three referrals yeah i wanted a male because i just thought i don't know i just i just thought i need a male you think men so are there smarter? was there was two no because i'd had female therapists oh. and i could i could i don't know manipulate, manipulate. yeah yeah so so uh so I got this mail and I go and make this appointment. I go to this office and it, you know, I lived in Koreatown at the time. So there is, you know, it's on Wilshire Boulevard. I go and I, I don't know if you've ever been to a therapy office, but there's like two, there's like a door and there's like lights. And then like you go in one door and you go out in another. And when the, the, the person is done with their therapy, the light comes on and then you go in, right? What? And it's not like the Bob Newhart show. It's not like that at all. There's no Carol there. There's nobody. There's Aww. just lights and doors. I think that was just the one place you went to. No, it's it's a, it's a lot of places. Huh. Right. Well, these are L.A. places, Chuck. These aren't Orange County places. In, <laughs> in, Orange, County, in Orange County, they're much nicer. <laughs> there's no, there's no receptionist in Orange County therapy because there's so much therapy being practiced. So, so I go in. I, I oh, oh, I'm in that room, and I go looking around because it's taking time. I was a little early, and I'm. You know why I was early? I'm not an early person. I got to leave work early. Oh, so I was go. like, I got therapy at four o'clock. I left like right after lunch. Like I gotta get, to, I gotta get to
1: my therapy.
0: Four <laughs> o'clock the appointment. Usually I'm late places, but yep. I was early to this. And I'm looking around, and the guys went to. He uh, he has his master's degree from Cal State Northridge. Oh no! Oh. no. I just left, Chuck.
2: <laughs> yeah, left. that won't do. <laughs> Is that I, even I, really a school? i such
0: a, I'm such a jerk. Says sometimes. the guy.
2: I'm a high school dropout.
0: So like I got, and aren't you? No, me too. But I, do, I have a reverence for high education. Yeah. So doesn't it doesn't make no, sense. Does you it? Know, it just, well, I pretty, <laughs> I pretty much didn't want to go anyway. So then Dr. Drew pushes me more. What happened in therapy? He asked me the next day, how'd therapy go? I go, well, you know, the guy was, uh, not, he wasn't a good fit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: And he goes, So oh, tell me about the session. I said, well, there was no session. Like, um. and so he kept pushing me so the third person was Dr. Roland Kim one of the greatest doctors I've ever known and he's right on Wilshire Boulevard and I walked from my house and I go in and the, the ding dong thing goes in, I walk in he's got his back to me and I, I, I come walking goes. in and he, I sit down on the couch and he turns around and he goes oh my gosh and I was like, excuse me? And he goes, uh, you must be Blue Cross Blue Shield.
1: <laughs> Wait, oh. no, no, no. So he, he was a
0: leading Korean psychiatrist in Los Angeles. And two, he left two slots a month open or two slots a week open for what he considered charity, which was insurance clients. Blue Cross <laughs> Blue Shield. No. Yeah. He goes, you must be Blue Cross Blue Shield. <laughs> nice. So I was like, what is it, what but what did that mean? And he goes he said, Well I'm I'm Korean. I, I only <laughs> only have Korean clients. <laughs> it was so great. And he, he said, goes and Korean. then he goes so he had, he didn't expect a Caucasian client, right? So I said he said, I'm game or if you're game <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Were you guys able to communicate? It, you guys it changed my life this man over an eight year period of time. He was awesome. He just He tolerated me, he pushed me, he was empathetic, sympathetic, no bullshit. He knew what to say, when to say it, and if you can find a therapist like that, it will change your life. It will change Uh your inner workings, right? So about a year in, he goes, yeah, I was talking to my mom, who's a, I don't know if, I don't wanna, I, I know we're not supposed to label people these days, but she was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, if you know what that is. So growing up the son of a borderline, that's how you get me okay so uh, in a nutshell wait, so wait it's wait, your
2: mom's fault
0: <laughs> no no you just you just come out a little sideways when you got because you never know what's going on with her <laughs> the borderline
2: people give birth all kinds of strange right
0: <laughs> and they do well anyways my mom was a special particular she had me when she was 15 which probably didn't help right and uh and then you know she had she was she was a, she was a Here's the interesting thing. She was my mom, so it was just like horrible to like deal with it. But I she moved to Oklahoma in the witness protection program in the eighties. <laughs> Mike has met my mom.
1: Well get to the get Mike to the has big done, Wait a minute. I realize Mike has mother. done drugs with my mom. Yeah. You're correct? Mo- your correct? Yes, your mother's sister.
0: <laughs> yeah, she's my sister's mother, to but explain, explain that, that one. It's now. not in a Mormon way, it's in a more traditional Catholic <laughs> way. <laughs>
1: his, his grandparents told him yeah, him I was that his adopted, mother was his sister. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, how yeah. he grew and up. So he she
0: hated her. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it happened a lot. It happened to Jack Nicholson. Here's, here's what. So Gloria Scott, who saved my life and helped me, and she's passed away, but she was the greatest drug counselor who ever lived. She used to, when she found out my story because everyone who would hear my story would just go oh, that explains it. Oh, my God. <laughs> and that, like, you're hopeless, your story. And she's the first one said, that's the same story as Jack Nicholson, same story as John Lennon. And I was like, and those two names are like, of course, and Bob Forrest. Like, yeah, the three of us. Yeah, right in there. Right in there. I'm trying to think of who's at the top of that list. I guess it's John Lennon. I guess Jack will go second. I, yeah, but I'm in the, that three. That three uh. of father, uh, mother, sister's... Uh, Situation. So here's how it went down. She got pregnant when she was 14. She had me when she was 15. My dad, who had, for those of you that've been in LA your whole lives, if you ever seen, remember the big T's, the Thrifty Mart supermarkets with the big red T's, that was my dad's company. So he said he had three daughters, and he said if it's a boy, we'll adopt it. If it's a girl, it goes up to Catholic charities. <laughs> oh my. Yeah. These, that You know the, what's called the greatest generation? I don't know how great they were. Like oh, yeah. that, That's how they thought. They like, were decisive. I want a boy. If it's a boy, we'll adopt it. If it's a girl, you know, somebody else will get it. That's decisive. Oh. <laughs> you know oh, at least At least he, didn't, he wasn't apathetic. He was not on the fence. No. He knew exactly and what he wanted. And he wasn't wanted. talking about loving and cherishing a child like we do these days. He was like, I want a boy. If it's a boy, I'll take it. <laughs> right? Wow. So I was a boy, and he took it. And I was raised in a house where I had three older sisters. Turned out one of them was my mother, right? And they told me on Christmas Eve night when I was 13 years old. And it was a nanny of a Christmas, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> they were all kind of drunk. and. They what did you get for, <laughs> for Christmas presents that year? Were they extra good? or? My dad always went all out for me. That's why my sisters hated me, <laughs> right? So... Uh, and my dad would give me this is what I do with my kids my, one of my kids is here I do the, he would always give them to me beforehand right because he would buy outrageous shit for me and not for my sisters
1: so well, they so were like, running around so town
0: I, so like five days before he'd go Bobby come over here and we'd go outside and there'd be a new motorcycle he'd be like don't tell your sisters.
1: Oh, yeah,
0: they'll never, <laughs> they'll never notice. They're, no, they were women. Like you gotta figure, my youngest sister was 12 years of when I was born, 15 and 17. So like they were off, like but boys, you weren't even on the radar. You I wasn't that. on their radar, yeah. but um, but I forgot what I got that Christmas. But they did tell me that my sister was my mother, and I knew I I panicked immediately because I knew my sister was crazy, and I didn't want to go live with her. So I thought that's what they were saying, and my dad said, "No, you're my son." And I was like, "Oh, if good." The sister,
2: mother, the one that did drugs with my yes, was, yes, okay. yes,
0: sister, mom. So
2: if he would have married her,
0: he uh, I been have your a dad. friend. No, I don't. I'm, I'm not. Gonna Mike is not going to say this, but I do have a friend that had a relationship with my mother. Huh. He's in a band, and that was one of the most uncomfortable like four days of my life. Oh, it lasted right. a long time. Yeah, well, it was, it was meth was
1: involved too, but uh, uh, this but anyway, psychotherapy went on for a long yeah, time. Yeah, went on didn't? for a long time. So, I'm, <laughs> so here's the
0: thing: I used to never tell people this stuff. I was ashamed of it.
2: Not even. Now, it, now John it doesn't Lennon? hold me
0: hostage. It doesn't. It doesn't. You know, I'm free of it. I'm free. Like this is who I am. I'm a kind of a mess, but I'm doing all right. <laughs> right. We embrace the dysfunction
2: and, and move forward. Right. Yeah.
0: I'm also. You know what I used to do in AA because people would think I'm crazy and they suspect I'm not sober and stuff. I would say, no. I've been rocketed into the fourth dimension, oh, no, and not. this is what it looks
1: like. Right. Straight <laughs> out of the book.
0: <laughs> Straight out of the book.
1: So, <laughs>
2: how so, to not get spongy? Say that at a meeting. So what and you no can
1: What you can
0: do if you're sober is like get involved in your local organizations. Just the Narcan. Get it into the hands. I'll tell you some strange bedfellows that this makes. About four years ago, I went to speak at Princeton University. Here's the thing. That's huh. a good one. I would have gone with a psychiatrist from Princeton, for sure. And they were having me speak, and then after me was About Governor what? Governor Chris Christie. Right? And, and I was just like, whoa, isn't he a Republican? Should I be doing this? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> that, that. And, uh, and he and I basically said the same thing that day. We need Narcan in the hands of addicts. We need te- fentanyl testing kits. We need more services. We need the insurance industry to be held accountable to provide coverage for addicts t- and, and mental health issues. He said the same things that I said. And, I, and I, it was just like, whoa, this is the one bipartisan issue because Republican kids die and Democrat kids die right yeah. and so maybe we could use this platform as that common ground because when somebody loses their child it doesn't matter what politics they have we should be compassionate towards them and understanding Ooh. and then that begins that bridge that we're all looking for that bridge that you know we lost somewhere back down the road you know i grew up in a republican household and my dad's brothers were democrats and they used to argue about this or that but but they, they loved each other <laughs> they ate they yeah. you know there was i don't know it's, it's changed so much and maybe the issue of addiction the issue of mental health in america especially with young people maybe that could be something we could all agree upon i'm going to tell you frightening statistics and i believe there's contributing factors to this but i think that we could change it that since covid Suicide rates of girls between the ages of 12 and 17 have gone up 400 percent.
1: 400 percent. And I have three girls.
0: And he has three girls. And uh, and uh, between the ages of 17 and 24, young people report feeling anxiety at a level that it disrupts their daily living. 75% 75% of kids sometimes can't go to work or go to school because they feel overwhelmed by anxiety. 50% of that same generation feel like they have depression that, that weights them down. And so there's something wrong with our society. It's things like this that can really change our society. I really believe that. And
1: addicts need to know not to walk around in shame. You know, I mean, we, we well, wear... it's not
0: addicts. This is depression and anxiety. Oh. But I, I just think that we all need to love each other and get back to like some of the traditional things that music was about. Right? I w- I've been a part of every music movement since I was 13 years old. I was trying to be a hippie and into Led Zeppelin, and then the disco thing came along. You should have seen me in my of pants and my platform shoes over Those are at my favorite pictures. What's the place in Yeah, you saw it, right? Yeah. Oh, my at my junior high school prom, I, I that was an outfit, wasn't yeah, it? That was great. I I had, yeah, I was a disco dancer. I had I, John Holmes sunglasses. There was a song called "Love Is in the Air." Love is in the air, and <laughs> everywhere and everywhere, I want to love you. You know that song? I had yeah. a I I had the coolest like combo. I had white platform shoes, tan flare pants, bell bottoms, white shirt brown and white scarf and when i was dancing Sorry. in huntington harbor there was a dance club what is it called it oh right we've been in, around that what yeah. was it called yeah yeah yeah, yeah was, so i would it go wasn't, there it wasn't the red they onion. had like disco night and i would i had this move that guaranteed that was things spax. were gonna go good spax yes. Yeah and i would put the scarf around the lady behind her neck that i was dancing oh, with God. and i would do the love is in the air and every and everybody that you know so i was a part of the disco movement part of the leds up and i saw leds up one two times in 1977. I, I think
2: that's assault if you walk up to a lady in a bar now <laughs> and put a scarf around her hand.
0: no we're on the dance floor we're already engaged in conversation and i didn't just walk up to random people did you say scarf. do i have permission
2: to put this scarf
0: your <laughs> no, probably didn't no so Led Zeppelin, then disco. Then right when disco, when I'm hitting my stride, and I'm kind of like the king of Huntington Harbor disco, this (laughs) punk rock thing comes along. 1978. I remember thinking, how am I going to do this? I'm like, am I going to give up my disco kinghood for this new thing? And yes, I did. Because I went to a club called the Cuckoo's Nest, and I saw the Ramones on the It's Alive tour. They had a live album. Changed my life forever. Like, I'm... I'm out of the disco thing. I'm out of it. Good for you. Then I was part of punk rock. Then I was part of indie rock. Then I was part of, uh, what was the other part of, they just kept changing the title because radio friendly. So it was punk rock. Then it became new wave. Then it became alternative. No wave. Then it became dark wave. No, no, no. That's way before. I'm tired of the ones that, I was riding all the musical movements,
1: right? Oh my God. Smitty was there. We
0: were riding it. Like, uh, no, indie. It, what, what did it do after indie? Something came after in, uh, Adult alternative. 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 So I was all a part of that. Then I became a folk singer. Amazing. So I just written all these, new, new, these waves. And through it all, what is music? It's community. It's love. It's expressing yourself. It's being open. It's opening up your heart. It's opening up your mind to other people and other people's ideas and so I think music compassion and understanding towards addicts and young people and their and their uh and their kind of why is a young person so anxious I've done that a thousand times with kids what are you so worried about they don't know it's indefinable right it's indefinable right. so we need to kind of help people like ah oh, let's go outside let's go get some pizza let's go see Jack White. Let's go see. Her. Oh, and I'll say this. Guy, I saw Stevie guy. Nicks on Friday night. Oh, my God. I love that woman so amazing. much. Oh, my God. I'm telling Chrissy. You know, like she she comes out and she's like, yeah, I'm Stevie Nicks, bitch. <laughs> like, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, if you don't know, now you know. <laughs>
1: <And> her <laughs> right? voice was
0: perfect. Yeah. She, it's amazing. So it's an amazing show. Eddie and Josh last night. And um, thanks to Smitty, it, thanks to it, Eddie, Eddie, thanks to everybody here. Eddie talked a lot
2: about that too, about the music community Eddie's, and how this is the one, this is the time. You said it. it. You know, at music, we don't. I don't stand next to somebody and ask them who they voted for. We're singing the same songs. We're already friends because we're here to see the same bands, you know.
0: Look that, at all those kids
1: out there. That Eddie is
0: so badass.
1: Story. Eddie told the story about uh, Smitty and uh, him finding this place for Ohana Fest five, six years ago. It was right. amazing, yeah. It
0: is, a, so just keep keep supporting live music it goes up and down it's a little hard at the football stadiums I get it but a little pricey but this is the only place there's real community and real love it's not on your phone it's in music, in the music oh. community and going to shows. I go to shows. My kid's have been, Elvis right there has been to every Coachella since before he was born. He was in his mother's belly at Coachella, six months. Hey, Elvis. Like, What's up, he brother? He's got a Led Zeppelin shirt on and a Woo. Talking Heads hat. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's all baby. you need to know. Yep. So thank you guys so much. And I don't know who's up next, but love you. And I'm going to go watch some music. You guys Great. good?
1: Yeah, we are. CEO. I just I want you to talk just a second about the shame a little shame? bit.
0: Shame? Yes. Well, because shame serves no purpose. We're trying to sh-
1: shame. Shame.
0: This is the way I understand it and everybody has different different I'm Catholic so I think I'm an authority on it so you should adhere to this uh, guideline. But guilt is a good thing. If you do something wrong, you should little feel bit, bad about it. A little bit of guilt is good. a good thing, yeah. right? You fuck somebody under, you should feel bad about it. Yep. If you don't, you're a sociopath. So that's, that's not good bad. for you or anyone else. So guilt, guilt's not bad. But shame just says, I did that thing and I'm a horrible piece of shit because I did that thing. And that serves no purpose. There's no way to pivot out of shame. There's no way to make lemonade out of lemons of shame. But guilt, you know, and people mix them up. I think you should right. feel guilty when you do something bad so you don't do it again. But shame and labeling yourself bad and now with projective identification, shaming others and telling others they're bad. Yep. Like this shame stuff, we got we to start pushing it away. We got to start standing right. up to it. No one, I, I've counseled probably, I, I was talking about, I've counseled probably, I know this sounds crazy, probably 20,000 people. And I've yet to meet this piece of shit person that's not worth helping. This piece of shit person that's not worth caring about. I've yet to meet them. So, peace. See you um, later. Uh, can I Wait, wait, wait. What? Hold on really, ahead, really Chuck. quick. Because
2: the shame, the shame leads into, uh, right back into victim mentality too. Because if we can be a victim of our own actions and feel bad because of things we've done, then we're still in the victim mentality and that gives us, you know, reason to, you know, Remain apathetic or not try and make the change. It it hits from several different sides. That's the problem. I, I just say don't
0: change. go there. Don't allow yourself to go there. You're not the worst person on earth. Mm-hmm. Like you know, that's that's n- another thing that no, addicts do. I, I know. But in is. general, not, not you know, you know, try to try to look at people with love. The the they asked the Dalai Lama why he has that twinkle in his eye, and he says because in every human face I look at, I see Shiva, I see God, right? That's a spiritual way of looking at. I just see like a person that's trying out, having some fun, maybe having some problems, overcoming some stuff, come overcoming their trauma, overcoming, you know, whatever went on, whatever slings and arrows of life handed you. But beyond that, you like Led Zeppelin, so you're cool with me, and I'm cool <laughs> with you. <laughs> All right, let's go. Then. All right, see you. Thank uh, you guys. Don't
1: die. See you later.